Blog Talk Radio. Like our page, Mighty Than a Sword. Like our page on Facebook. Again, log on to www.facebook.com and like our page. Google us, Mightier Than a Sword. Also, you can log online to www.m-tas.org. That's how you can check us out online. Again, that's www.m-tas.org. You can also tune into these thought-provoking conversations each and every Sunday at 5.30 by calling 718-508-9533. Again, that's 718-508-9533. Um, so that's how you can tune into these thought-provoking conversations each and every Sunday. And if you are looking for an insurance professional to take care of all your insurance needs and answer all of your insurance questions and concerns, do not hesitate to give me a call directly here in my office. That's 773-881-9555. Again, that's 773-881-9555. If you want to discuss any insurance-related matters, definitely give me a call, and we can take care of that for you. Certainly, certainly we do not want to have our families without adequate protection, so certainly give me a call here in my office so that we can discuss that also visit me online again that's www.m-tas.org go to the resource tab to get much needed information as it relates to life insurance and protecting your family you certainly want to provide for your family the proper coverage and the proper protection that they um, certainly need and that um, that will certainly secure their future. So certainly go to the resource tab and get information by way of life insurance so you can see what the various options are out there available to your family because we certainly want to be prepared and um, take the necessary steps. So again, you can reach me here at my office directly. Let me give you that number again, which is 773-881-9555. Again, like us on Facebook. Always enjoy hearing from you guys each and every week, um, dialoguing with you folks on Facebook and Twitter. So, uh, yeah, last week we had a great conversation, um, and if you had not had the opportunity to listen to that discussion, I strongly suggest that you do so. It's a great discussion. Uh, we talked about um, the recent controversy surrounding Pastor Marvin Winan of the Perfecting Church out of Detroit, Michigan, um, and his decision not to Christian um the children of unwed mothers. So it was a very um, interesting conversation that raised a lot of questions and um, quite, let me be quite frankly, a lot of concerns for me too relative to uh, what people's um, true beliefs are relative to what 
the position of the church is and what uh, what the position and position that church men should take relative to speaking um, into the lives of their parishioners, whether or not they have a right to call out certain things that they deem out of bounds if you win. I guess from a religious term, we would call that sin. Right, so uh, whether or not they have a right to uh, speak in the lives of their parishioners when it can, when it comes down to things of that nature, because a lot of the feedback that I got last week and it was ongoing, and believe it or not, the conversation went all the way up until Wednesday. Folks still weighing in on the subject matter, um, and most folks believe that um, he was out of bounds and that he was out of place to actually um, make such a recommendation. But to be fair and consistent in uh, my discussions of such topics, um, again, I'll just take this for the record. Um, he did not say that he was not going to bless the child or that he was not going to Christian the child. Um, but his decision had more to do with a public the public uh, acknowledgement of the christening. So, um, and in my uh, humble opinion, certainly men of uh, men of that um, stature certainly have that right to do so, because again, they have taken a vow to uphold um, uh, morality and to promote morality and what could be uh, more moral than promoting um, strong family values, i.e. marriage. So um, hats off to uh, Pastor Winans, and I certainly understood um, the criticism that he received. And, I, I, I again, I, I don't make light of some of you guys' opinions, but certainly um, consider the position that he was in. But, again, we're not going to um, discuss that. We're not going to have that um discussion today. We're going to deal with our quarterly book selection. Again, you know, each and every every month, one Sunday out of the month, we choose a book of our choice. And for the last 60 days, we've been reviewing Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Powerful Lessons, and Personal Change. Stephen R. Covey, again, a Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Powerful Lessons, and Personal Change. We're certainly going to get off into that conversation today. Um, but quite a few things that have been taking place in the news and Back, I just um, uh, read something that someone sent to me regarding the um, the Bernie situation. Um, in fact, Jay Z speaks out about the Bernie's racial profiling claim, and maybe we'll have that discussion next week. I know I noticed a lot of folks have been um, talking about that online recently, so maybe sometime next week we'll have that conversation. If if in fact nothing else comes up and we don't move um, to the next subject matter, but certainly. Again, like our page on Facebook, that's Mighty Dennis Sword. Also visit us online, www.m-tas.org. Again, that's www.m-tas.org. Also, you can call in um, the way in if, in fact, you want to discuss this book with me. That's uh, 718-508-9533. I know some folks will be joining us. But uh, just a brief recap, um, last month, again, we had our first discussion of seven habits of highly effective people and a couple of things came up that I think is worth me mentioning again or uh, worth recover, um, discussing or bringing to your attention once more. Um, we talked about paradigm and the word paradigm and I certainly wanted to put out there a working definition of paradigm again because that word uh, might get tossed around as we begin um, part two of this particular book. So again, um, paradigm deals with a set of beliefs, a set of beliefs, ideas, and behaviors and habits that influence behaviors. So uh, I wanted to certainly to give us a working definition of paradigm because we kind of just briefly last time we had the opportunity to um, discuss this particular book, and I uh, I thought it was it would be very beneficial to actually uh, give us a working definition. So let me try that again. Again, it's a collection of thoughts, beliefs habits and ideas that affects our attitudes and behavior. And generally these are ideas that's passed down to us from um from our homes and our and our communities. So that becomes critically important to understand um that notion and the implications of that. Uh when we're talking about paradigms, we're talking about a collection of thoughts and beliefs. Um and again when you're trying to connect that idea to what we discussed last week with um, Dylan Pastor Wine is what are you talking about? We're talking about beliefs. 
our belief systems, our thought patterns, and our habits. So, in particularly, uh, when you're dealing with when we're dealing with the church community or the religious community, we're talking about a set of beliefs and how that tends to influence our attitudes and our behaviors. So, um, again, like I said, one of the reasons why I was um, certainly I understood the position that Pastor Wynan took and I also and I was in agreement with him because I understand the belief system in which he's coming from. So um that's what that deals with. Again, a collection of thoughts, beliefs, habits and ideas that influence our behavior. And typically they're passed down. And when you kinda of understand um the importance of that and the implications of that, we'll begin to understand that um we have to pay very close attention to our paradigms because it has tremendous implications as it relates to um, uh, what our thoughts, um, what what we're doing in our behavior pattern. So it has tremendous implications. Again, the number to call is 718-508-9533. Again, that's 718-508-9533. So certainly we talked about... Um, paradigm and the implications of one's paradigm. Again, it becomes hugely important because when we talk about what what's one's idea when it comes to money, one of the first things that often comes up, especially if you grew up in a religious home or you come from a religious community, uh, we oftentimes hear people say that, well, money is the root of all evil. You know, that's some of the things that come up um, come to the mind of folks when you talk about money. Um, you say, well, what's your paradigm about money? Well, money is the root of all evil. You never hear people qualify that by saying, well, um, the love of money is the root of all evil. So when you talk about a set or a collection of beliefs and, and ideas and how that influences our behavior, what does that mean when one carry around the thought of money being the root of all evil? Without qualifying that or finding some type of balance, perhaps one will um, actually have behavior patterns or live a life that will actually cause money to um, to mishandle money, so to speak. They will mishandle money because of those um, defeating or disempowering or counterproductive paradigms. So it becomes very important to understand what we're thinking, um, how we're thinking, and what has actually um, what has actually shaped those thought processes. So we kind of talked about that last um, last time we had this discussion dealing with seven habits of highly effective people. Another interesting thing that I believe grew out of um, came out of last um, um, the last discussion that we had four unique traits um, that all human beings have, and that's that of self awareness, imagination, conscious, and independent will. I'll try that again. Um, it's self awareness, imagination, conscious and independent will. Um, the interesting thing about us as being um, um, uh, um, humans is that we are aware of our actions. We are aware of um, our thoughts. That's the reason why we can change our thoughts or change our paradigm when we become aware of what those paradigms are and the implications of those paradigms. Again, I want to—I know I'm, I'm being a dead horse here in terms of going back to past Marvin Winans and, and his stance, um, and we look at what was he trying to accomplish or what would anyone who take a strong stance like that is trying to accomplish, or maybe they are quite aware of the implications if we don't promote the importance of marriage or we don't promote the importance of family and the implications of us not promoting those uh, those traditions. What have been the implications of us kind of take, taking a back seat where that has been concerned? In the African-American community in particular, society in general, but in the African-American community in particular, I, I I think I was sharing online um, with some of my um, with some of my friends about a, a time where a young man came up to me one time. Um, I was visiting at home, and um, he came up to me. And he said, um, "Are you my father?" And um, that was a very heartbreaking experience. That here's a young man, probably three or four years of age, who had not met his dad. And, and coming up to a stranger asking me if I was his father. So 
that's what we're talking about here when we talk about uh, being aware of our thoughts, ideas, and beliefs, and having the opportunity to utilize our imagination because it's not just enough to be aware of what our paradigms are. Once we become aware of what those paradigms are, we can make a paradigm shift and we can utilize our imagination to project ourselves into the future, to imagine a, a different tomorrow, so to speak, to imagine a community, a family, uh, or society that we envision that's different from today. So if, in fact, we see, again, use an example, um, the family set up in the black community in particular, if, in fact, we see that as being a problem, then we can utilize our imagination, our self-awareness to make changes in those areas. But first, we have to come to grips with or come to some type of agreement or understanding if we see the these problems as a problem or these challenges as challenges because certainly if there's if we if we don't envision something as being a problem then we're not going to do anything to correct it so uh, that's why I tend to pose questions like do you see uh, what's taking place in the african-american community today as a problem do you see it problematic some people will say no well, when I get that answer, then I can see um, why we're reluctant to make changes because who change anything that they don't see as a problem or a challenge? But when we come to agreement on um, what some of the um, challenges are or problems are, we can move to the next level by using that that second human trait of imagination and get something done. And, 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 and we can't stop there. Stephen Covey said we have to move to the point of exercising our independent will. What does that mean? Nobody else is going to do it for us. We have to do it for ourselves. That's why he talked about being proactive and the importance of being proactive, taking complete responsibility for our own individual lives, for what takes place within our families, for what takes place in our community, and ultimately what takes place in society. So even when we hear political talks going on, what just took place in Washington, um, certainly those things should concern us. It shouldn't just concern you when it uh, when it knock on your door or you're affected by it personally. You should be concerned about what's taking place in the nation in general. Why? Because you're a part of it, and your 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 thoughts, views, and opinions matter. Because again, when we when we understand paradigm, that influences behavior, and what we do begin to um, affect all of us as um, all of us as citizens. So that's what we're talking about. And um, so that was a great discussion, and I, I certainly thank. Um, those of you who's been following us uh, each and every week and who's been reading this book along with us, again, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Personal Lessons, and Personal Change. So this particular week, what we should have, if you guys have been reading along with us, you should be up to habit number three up to habit number three. Just for a brief recap, I know I've been talking about this for quite some time now. Um, habit number one dealt with being proactive. Habit number two, beginning with an end in mind. And habit number three, putting first things first. So you certainly should have um, joined us along those lines of putting uh, first things first is what you should have picked up on the discussion. So that's page number 145. And we should have gone all the way up until page 185. Again, that's again that's page 145 and page all the way up until page 185. I see some folks trying to get in now, but we're having some problems here trying to get you guys on. But certainly um, call in um, to engage me and to discuss. Again, that's 718-508-9533. Again, that's 718-508-9533. Again, like us on Facebook, Mighty Adena Sword, and um, visit us online. Again, that's www.m-tas.org for our uh, part two of our discussion of seven habits of highly effective people. Again, I want to pick back up on habit number two, beginning with an end in mind. Um, he kind of talked about on page 131, and I'm going to bring some other folks in here shortly, but I want to just um, turn to page 131. So if you guys are with me and um, you've gotten your copy of this particular book, I certainly want you to uh, catch up with us here. Um, he talked about 
beginning with an end in mind, and it's going to lead us into habit number three, and that's certainly what we should be discussing today. Uh, but he says here on page number 31, he talks about expanding one's paradigm, your beliefs, your thoughts, um, and your ideas and your habits, which influence your behavior. He says here, sometimes we are knocked out of our left brain environment and thought pattern and into the right brain by an unplanned experience, the death of a loved one, a severe illness, a financial setback, or extreme adversity can cause us to stand back, look at our lives, and ask ourselves some hard questions. What's really important? Why am I doing what I'm doing? But if you're proactive, you don't have to wait for circumstances or other people to create perspectives ex- expanding experiences. You can consciously create your own. Let's try that last sentence one more time. He said, if you are proactive, again, that's habit number one, you don't have to wait for circumstances or other people to create perspectives expanding experiences. You can consciously create your own. What he's saying here is that um, sometimes, you know, folks have to, folks wait because we don't have to, folks wait to experience the loss of a loved one or experience um, some form of a severe illness or financial setback to start asking themselves some very hard questions. Oftentimes, me being in the insurance business, I I get calls kind of after the fact, after one experienced the loss of a loved one and things of that nature. Um, Certainly, they kind of begin to um, make them think about the importance of life insurance or protecting their family. Uh, While it's not too late for the ones I'm receiving um, the phone call from, but it's amazing to me how sometimes we tend to wait for these life-altering experiences to um, get in action. But what Stephen Covey talks about, he said, we don't have to wait and effective people typically don't wait for bad things, life-altering things to occur before they kind of get in action. I see here um, I have someone that's trying to get in here on the conversation. It's a very familiar number, the 617 number. Solanda, is that you? I think here we're trying to bring – Solanda, is that you here on the call? Again, um, hey, Kirby talks – I, I can hear you now. I can hear you now. All right. I don't know if you, All right. How I don't you know. doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm glad, uh, glad you called and glad you joined in on the discussion here. I was talking about Covey, talking about um, expanding one's perspective and what, what that whole notion is all about and how he says here on page number one in the chapter beginning with an end in mind how we shouldn't wait for these life-altering experiences to occur for us to kind of um, make some different choices and ask some hard questions. What's your thoughts on that? Um, Do you see that as being um, the case in uh, many of our lives or maybe you've experienced something personally that um, you kind of fail victim of what Covey is talking about, waiting for uh, maybe the loss of a loved one. I know that's a tough one. Or a financial setback to perhaps get a financial plan in place. What's your thoughts on that? Because oftentimes that happens. I know I'm guilty of it as well. I think uh, a lot of people are guilty of that because, you know, we tend to act when crisis, uh, when crises occur instead of having um, a plan of action, you know, in place. So, unfortunately, you know, some of those behaviors are, are, have become habits for us where we only respond when something happens. Like, for example, um, you know, a lot of people tend to only go to the doctor, you know, when they are deathly ill whereas there are certain preventative measures that could have been taken place, like an annual physical, you know, or where you, you know, get your blood pressure and certain blood tests that can, you know, let you know if you need to make certain changes to your diet, you know, or if you need to incorporate exercise. So I, I truly do see where um, this chapter where he goes into detail about expand perspective and, and how um, in order, you know, you, you really uh, – can't wait for circumstances uh, to happen um, to create your own uh, expanded experiences. Um, I think what people need to take from this uh, chapter is that we're very powerful people, um, especially with our imaginations. I mean, you know, some people imagine if they, you know, won the lottery and, you know, what life would be like, 
you know, some people imagine, you know, just having good wealth and, you know, or even good health. Um, but what I took away from this was not just about imagining things, but visualizing it. And, and, and there's something that was really key in this chapter because I think we tend to, when we visualize things, we don't include the emotional uh, connect with it as well in terms of, you know, like when he gave this example of, you know, think about your own funeral or, you know, or if right. somebody very close to you dies, you know, that, that emotion, you know, the feeling, the care, the concern, you know, the grief, all those emotions that carry with that. So what if you actually uh, took, you know, uh, the, uh, allowed your imagination to uh, take you to, you know, where you wanted to be wealthy? Okay, what steps are you going to, you know, take to get to that wealth? Visualizing what you're going to do. Um, visualizing 10 years from now what it's going to be like. But also uh, taking on that feeling of happiness and joy and, and freedom and, and all those things. And, and that's why, and I think that's where, you know, it, even on a spiritual note, when we talk about faith, we even limit faith, just, you know, speaking spiritually for a moment. Whereas, yes, we, we believe it, but do we really believe it? You know, mm. do, do you see it, but do you really believe it? You know, so it's, it's you know, taking, uh, having a full experience before you have the physical experience. And that's where you become successful in expanding, um, you know, your, uh, your perspective on things. You know, and I, I've been, a, you know, a victim of this where, you know, we, we limit ourselves. You know, that's why a lot of us are in situations because, you know, we've settled when we think. We don't think abroad. You know, we only look at, you know, uh, we tend to look at other people's situations and then it, you know, kind of dampens our mood. So then, you know, what we see now has become tainted by negativity, whereas in order for you to expand, you know, your perspective, you have to, you know, see beyond. You know, you, you have to feel it. You know, you ha there has to be a confidence um, to know that I can achieve those things. And the feeling, um, you know, the emotion that you tie to that will, will actually push you to want to do more. So that's pretty much where um, I do agree 100% with Covey when he talks about expanding your perspective. Yeah, I thought that was a uh, very interesting concept because he went as far as to say that um, one should go as far as to write their own eulogy. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> I mean, like, really? You want to, um, yeah, I, I guess that's really hit home in terms of beginning with an end in mind because now you're talking about what do I want people to say when I'm not here, when I'm not there right. to even witness their words about me. Right. Um, so, yeah, I found that concept to be quite interesting and um, a very, very powerful concept when you're talking about beginning with an end in mind because how oftentimes do we enter endeavors without having a clue as to um, where where we want to be? What's right, the point right. of it all? Where do we want to go? What's the end game? What's the goal? And um, just to um, somewhat have a, as you mentioned, to visualize what that end point is and somewhat work backwards, somewhat work our way backwards and, 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 and opposed to just um, saying, well, this is, um, this is my goal uh, and, and really not really having a clear um a clear picture as to uh, what that looks like, what that looks like, right. and beginning to work right. ourselves backwards. So um, certainly by reminding us of, of, um, of, as he mentioned, visualize your own funeral, write your own eulogy, that certainly puts John, it in uh, perspective for you. And if I can just jump in and say one more thing, one of the, uh, a very clear example that he gave was about uh, one of the classes that he taught and how uh, pretty much if you, if you only had one semester to live, you know, uh, what would you do to be a good student? You know, visualize, mm -hmm. you know, he says visualize how you would spend your semester. You know, and, and so pretty much when you, if you were told that you only had, you know, a month to live, <laughs> you know, what would you do differently? You know, you, you, right. you are going to change certain things. The way your paradigm is definitely going to shift, you know, and you have to go with it. 
you know, you're going to be right. trying to make maybe make amends with, you know, uh, people that you may have hurt. You may try to reconnect with family members. You know, if you had bad relationships with your brothers or sisters, you may try to mend those relationships. You know, you're going to try to do what you can to, you know, try to make up for lost time, you know, and try to make the best of those, you know, moments that you have. You know, so if we took the step further and, you know, say, hey, what can I, I want to live better. Let me visualize myself living at my fullest potential. What does that look like? What does that feel like? You know, and when you start taking that on, then you you, you got to go with your, you know, with the paradigm. You know, because you, there are certain principles and, and values uh, that each of us have. You know, All and right. so if, if you uh, are a person where you know you 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 have limited you know, beliefs, you have limit, you, you limit yourself um, in every area of your life, then you're only going to get those kind of results, you know. But if you are a person who is empowered and, you know, and, and you know that you want more, then, you know, like the saying goes, if you want more, you're going to do more. You're going to get more, you know. So, um, you know, there were just some really uh, critical things uh, that we can actually take away just from these little uh little tidbits of information in some of these chapters that we can apply to our lives that can really make a huge difference. I agree totally. Um, so important that he said that uh, it's only until we begin to understand the paradigm and, and if we're not in agreement or if we don't like where our current paradigm has um, gotten us thus far, he said only then should we move to habit number three of putting first things first. He said uh, we have to first accomplish or gain some clarity as to um, what's really going on upstairs, what your true beliefs are, what do you value. Um, he said after that, then we can move to habit number three of putting first things first. Uh, what's your thoughts about that, about this concept of putting first things first? And do you think it can um, apply to families and businesses? Because it seems like oftentimes we uh, we fail to look before we leap, if you know what I mean. Oh. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, uh, as Covey says, you know, the first thing that you have to do, you know, um, is be proactive, you know, and and, and being proactive, um, you know, that, you know, having that driving force uh, where you are self-motivated, you know, to make things happen, you know, or if you're looking for change, you're motivated, you know, uh, to seek out change. And so you, you, one can't operate without the other because you've got to have one and two in order to get to three, <laughs> you know. Right. So um, it's, you know, it's important uh, to understand that you have to put first things first. You know, you have to know, you know, what is truly, you know, important to you. And even in families and businesses, you know, um, a lot of that has to do with where we set our priorities, you know, um, Mm-hmm. Even in a business, you know, sometimes businesses fail because why um, it's not properly organized. You know, yes, their mission, um, you know, may say one thing, you know, and they may have envisioned something different, you know, but when you have a business, it has to be managed a, a, a certain way. You know, there's day-to-day operations, you know, there's checks and balance, you know, so you have to understand where certain priorities, you know, by, by, by what's important, you know, um, and, and even in families, you know, sometimes we have to ask ourselves, you know, what is important, you know, is the TV show more important than me spending, you know, some quality time maybe talking to my daughter or talking to my son or, you know, maybe having quiet time, you know, at home with a spouse, you know, I mean, it's important for us to understand uh, the value of putting first things first. You know, and the question that people who are listening needs to ask is, you know, what what thing what is first in your life? What is the most important thing, you know, that you, you do want to change? And, you know, and how can you be proactive in getting to that change? You know, what direction can you see yourself, you know, once those changes have been implemented? And now, you know, that you're making those changes, understanding that, you know, let's, uh, let's focus on putting first things first. You know, so, so it's, um, 
No, I, I know I, I, it's funny that you mentioned that, and I, I know that you've worked with families um, down through the years of getting them qualified for um, various things by way of um, um, financing instruments and things of that nature. So certainly you've seen people come to you, and um, you know they want um, you know they 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 want a half a million dollar home, but then if you pull the credit report or you look at or you ask them, let me see your budget. Um, it's not there. So does right. that concept apply to a situation like that? I mean, what's your take on that? It, it applies to everything, you know, and, and that's a very good example. Um, you wonder why a lot of these, uh, you know, with the changes in lending, why they want people to take home buyer's education. Well, a mm-hmm. lot of times is that people see, you know, the, the million-dollar homes and they want to live right. But see, what they didn't do was make first things first, or the priorities and making sure that the finance, you know, that their finances were in order, that they had the savings, and that comes through education, you know. So a lot of the revamping, even in the financial um, industry, um, in terms of people getting mortgage loans, um, has to, you know, now they incorporate making sure that those home buyers are properly educated, understanding the importance of budgeting. Understanding the importance of, you know, maintenance, you know, that, you know, once you become a homeowner, it's not like you're living in an apartment anymore. Now you're going to have certain responsibilities, you know, and, and learning how to budget for emergencies. You know, so I, I met tons of people where, you know, your heart, my, my heart was, you know, I want to help them be able to become homeowners because, unfortunately, you know, so many people in the African-American uh, community, you know, uh, were not able to get, you know, um, homes at one point in time. So lenders pretty much, you know, uh, started making changes in terms of criteria to help people qualify. But then mm-hmm. once again, everybody wasn't meant to be a homeowner because their priorities weren't there. You know, they didn't know how to manage. They didn't know how to plan for the emergencies. Why? Because they were always, you know, uh, people that didn't really have any order in their lives. You know, so you notice the difference between certain buyers, you know, whereas you have, um, and, and I hate to even uh, use race as an um, example, but a lot of times I had, you know, uh, Europeans where, uh, you know, they, uh, their parents taught them about saving for a rainy day. You know, they're in college. You know, they're putting their dollars away uh, or they're living with their parents and they're working and they're making sure that their credit, you know, uh, their bills are paid on time. And then here, you know, I, I, I go, you know, uh, working with uh, the African-American uh, community, and, you know, some, I will say, I, you know, we had some really good people who, who did uh, learn those uh, key concepts. And then you had a majority, though, did not. You know, they didn't understand the importance of budgeting. I mean, you're applying for a mortgage loan, and yet you can't pay a $10 a month credit card, you know, payment. You know, but now you want to go from a $10 a month credit card payment to paying a $1,000 note. You know, so when you, when you look at things, you know, while their vision, you know, they want to be a homeowner, the, the, the steps to getting there and being proactive and making uh, preparations and prioritizing by putting first things first, what's important? Well, in order for me to get this house, this may not be the right time. Let me take a step back and get my finances in order. Let me make sure I'm starting paying my bills on time. Let me pull my credit report and see what's on there. You know, and and those and so uh, in incorporating putting first things first, even as something as simple as getting a mortgage. You know, you have to understand you have to have priorities um, set in order to achieve. You know, to get those keys to that new home. So, right. This, this, it, it applies in any situation. Across the I mean, board. In a mortgage loan, yeah, whether you're going for a job, you know, whether you're trying to get that promotion, you know, or even in your personal relationships, you know, in terms of, you know, husband and wife, you know, or, uh, uh, or even with your children. I mean, it's universal. Absolutely. I tell folks oftentimes um, when I get calls to folks who, uh, you know, they're looking for the quote on the insurance, and uh, I quote one uh, one rate, and it's like, wow, why so much? And my mind right. goes to, well, uh, if we can't afford the insurance, then I wonder if we can afford the car. Right. 
Right. So it goes back to what you're talking about in terms of um, putting first thing first, uh, making sure you've done your homework, um, and that you can afford what you um, what you take on, what you can take on. Because again, we have to understand that we all make choices, um, and we all have a right to make choices. But the consequences sometimes we don't we don't uh, we don't control the consequences or the fallout of those decisions. And um, certainly, right. um, when we look at the real estate market, some of the fallout of those decisions with was all those exotic loans. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. You know, exotic you know, and, I mean, a lot of people, you know, took advantage of them. I mean, even the lenders, you know, um, I mean, if you took uh, this book, they didn't see the end result. They only looked mm. at what was now, you know, the gratification of, you know, sell, bundling these uh, notes, selling them, making, you know, a quick profit, and, 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 and not seeing the end result that, you know, something drastic was going to happen by, you know, reducing the standards for which people obtain financing. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great point. I just wanted to um, um, see if you were able to make the correlation um, to uh, what we saw took place in the real estate market here. On page 151, uh, Covey, he introduced us to the concept of um, the time manage- management matrix. What was your thoughts about that? He talked about this is something that's, that has stuck with me down throughout the years when I first read this, this book. Um, he talked about things that are important, things that are unimportant, things that are urgent, and things that are not urgent in terms of how we um, handle our time and manage our time. What was your thoughts about that? Because I thought it was a very interesting concept. And even without reviewing this particular chapter, often I I, I remind myself of different activities I have going on in my life. Is this important? And if it is important, is it urgent? What's your thoughts about that? Right. (laughs) And it's funny because, um, like he was saying, you know, most people stay in crisis mode. You know, right. they always be in that one in that first quadrant, you know, where every time you turn around, you know, there's an emergency, you know. And right when they think they're about to, you know, be able to work on the other things that are deemed important, guess what? Another crisis, you know, occurs. Or then you have those that, you know, uh, work in the quadrant where it's important, but it can actually be taken care of at a later time, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you have those that, unfortunately, don't know how to say no. And so the next thing you know, you end up like a lot of us where you have, and I'm a victim of this, poor time management, ineffective management skills, and not just how, and not just, uh, how it affects you individually, but it affects those who are around you, you know. So, and that's where, you know, you can relate uh, uh, being independent and the interdependence because, even though it's my time and I control how I want to use it, I still need to learn how to be more effective in how I accomplish certain tasks or what things um, I can maybe do at a later time or what's really important. You know, um, I mean, that's, that's the power of being independent. You know, you have the freedom to set those guidelines or, or to create those boundaries. But, when your time is not managed properly and you have family and work, other people depend on you, you know, so that's where the interdependence, you know, starts to play, you know, so now if you're not managing your time effectively, then you suffer from what a lot of people suffer from, which is poor work-life balance, or there is no work-life balance. So Cubby literally creates this picture for you to see where it's broken down into, you know, uh, four quadrants. Uh, and, and those four quadrants uh, pretty much break down from what's important to where, you know, you are, uh, what's, what's urgent, what's not important, and, and, you know, activities that can pretty much be uh, done at a later time. And I, I per, speaking from personal experience, um, this is an area that I definitely have to work on. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I truly, mean, it's mm-hmm. – I truly, I'm sorry, what was that? The, uh, I truly agree with the example, um, everything that he breaks down in terms of, uh, you know, understanding, uh, you know, that you pretty much know what's urgent and important. You know what you really need to get taken care of and what can wait at a later time. And one thing that he says that I think we all fall victim to is the things that are urgent or do need our attention, 
we tend to let those things go and focus on the things that are technically important but that actually can wait at a later time. And then because we allow those things to forego, then all of a sudden, you know, we start to add more things on us where we operate in a mode of crisis all the time. Right, exactly. And what I found interesting, Shalon, is that he, he kind of mentioned, because as you as you pointed out, that quadrant one, things that are important and urgent, again, it falls under activities that falls under that category. It's crisis, pressing problems, deadline-driven pro- projects. And many times um, our life um, consists of us being in crisis mode. And one of the things that he mentioned is that if, 80% of our time is spent in quadrant number one or this crisis or this pressing problem type of mode, we can never move to quadrant number two, which are things that are important, but they're not urgent. And because they're not urgent, we tend to put them off, but they are important to our overall well-being. And some of the things that he mentioned in quadrant number two, he said activities, uh, prevention type of activities, PC activities, relationship building, recognizing new opportunities, planning, and recreation. So that's what you were talking about in terms of that work-life balance. And if we stay in that crisis mode, we never move to um, quadrant number two. And because it's, like, not urgent, urgent, it never tends to uh, stay on our radar for a long period of time. That's not a, And that's not a good situation to be in, per Covey. Are you still with me? I think uh, we may or, um, I think I probably lost her. But, yeah, um, definitely call back in, 718-508-9533. Again, that's 718-508-9533. Yeah, Covey makes um, a very strong point in dealing with this notion of um, the time management matrix. And, um, again, he talks about um, – things that are important, things that are not important, things that are urgent, and things that are not urgent. And um, he makes a strong point that if we want to become more effective in what it is that we plan on doing with our lives, um, we have to begin to order our lives around um, things that are that things um that um that's priority to us. So he said we should organize our time important and the way we understand our priorities is by thinking of it in the in those um in those concepts or terms. Um is it important? And if it is important, is it urgent? You don't want to stay in that mode, though, because that's the crisis mode. That's the whatever comes up. I got to rush to uh, rush to get to it. We want to try to organize our lives around focusing on things that are important, uh, but not urgent. In other words, it doesn't need our immediate attention, but it certainly will make a huge difference as time progresses. Um, but he said most of us, or many of us, we spend a, um, a, um, a huge amount of time on activities that are um, um, just busy work trivial matters. Um, and certainly in the age of reality TV, we see a lot of that, and I'm not, no knock on reality TV. Certainly uh, we need that balance by way of uh, work and play, you know, all work and um, no play makes John a dull boy. So we certainly understand that, and Covey, he actually accounts for that. But if we spend all of our time in um, quadrant number four, that's quadrant number four that I'm speaking about, we said, well, you get what well, some mail is just mail, junk mail. You shouldn't be paying attention to to begin with. Some phone calls uh, you might want to hit ignore, uh, just time-wasting type activity. So he talks about that in um, the chapter dealing with putting first things first and that being habit number three of highly effective people. So we certainly want to um, understand those concepts and take those concepts um, into um, consideration. Again, guys, we have roughly about 10 minutes left in, in today's discussion of seven habits of highly effective people, personal lessons and personal change. It looks like I lost one of my uh, my guests there, so um, hopefully she can call back in, but we're going to keep it going for the next um, 10 minutes here. Um, another thing that Covey talks about, he talks about and opening up um, the very next chapter dealing with public victory. He opens up the chapter on page number, yeah, page number 185. He talks about confidence and integrity. Covey is big on um, 
he's he's big on private victories preceding public victories. What we do at home, what we do um, when we're when we're along in terms of preparing ourselves for um, the world. He opens up this particular chapter dealing with paradigm of interdependence by saying there can be no friendship without confidence and no confidence without integrity. Samuel Johnson, this quote is attributed to, um, I'll try that one more time. He says, there can be no friendship without confidence and no confidence without integrity. What should we think about that for a second? Why is confidence important to one's friendship with people, and why is confidence important, um, or why is integrity important to um, confidence? Interesting. Um, and when you kind of think about that, you think about um, people in your lives and people who you call um you call them your friend and how um, that friendship has has to be rooted in some level of confidence that you have uh, for that individual. Very important. Um, confidence that they can, um, uh, that they have your best interest at heart. Confidence that maybe they can hold on to some things that you want to um, keep with between the two of you, that sort of thing. And he said that that's very important to uh, friendship. And then he also says that there could be no confidence without integrity. So what is that all about? You know, integrity in the trust of that other individual, um, understanding that that individual um, integrity is such that you can trust that person with um, um with friendship, with your friendship, with information, uh, with some of your secrets, so to speak. So I think that's very important to consider when we talk about uh, seven habits of highly effective people because, again, he's moving to the notion of interdependence and the importance of interdependence because, again, no man lives on an island. So when we talk about private victory, it can't stay private. The world, society, the community, your family has to begin uh, has to begin to benefit from your efforts. So that's what he talks about when he talks about interdependence and what it takes to have effective interdependence. He talks about confidence. He talks about uh, that integrity piece and understanding that we have to, um, I guess we have to guard our friendship. We have to take care of our friendships and we have to take care of um, the way we um, regard people and treat one another. So, And that becomes critically important when we talk about um interdependence and the importance of interdependence and that certainly relates to employer employee relationship how how often do we see um employers not giving their all why why want to why want an employee give their all to their employer and that's um that uh, those are the individuals who butter their bread so to speak it's quite simple. Covey said because the integrity isn't there, the confidence isn't there, the confidence in that organization isn't there, the confidence in that organization leadership, and the confidence of individuals working for that organization believing that that uh, particular operation have the individuals working in that company's um, best interests at heart. So, again, the importance of integrity, the importance of people having confidence in what we do. Um, we see that in business. We see that within families. And we see that within our individual relationship with one another. So um, he also talks about in the same chapter, um, he says that inter Independence is an achievement, and interdependence is a choice, and only independent people that only independent people can make. It's kind of it's worth thinking about. Uh, interesting concept too. I'll try it one more time. He says independence is an achievement. Again, that's the private victories that he talked about. He said that's a huge achievement, and interdependence is a choice that only independent people can make. Again, that balance, that balance between what's taking place privately, those private victories, and how they have to proceed the public victory, and how it has to be that balance between the two, and that we have to achieve independence before we can um, properly relate to other people. So that's a very um, important concept to understand, and certainly one that he says that highly effective people understand and that they operate within. Uh, we have roughly about five minutes left in the conversation. Um, the last thing I want to um, point out 
is this notion, again, in the same chapter that he talks about in terms of the paradigm of, of interdependence. He deals with this idea of the emotional bank account. I remember the first time I was introduced to this particular idea about um, the emotional bank account. It's pretty similar, he says, as a financial bank account where one could actually make deposits and withdrawals. When I first um when I first read this, um, it kind of stuck with me, um, stayed with me for quite some time because you begin to understand that uh, not only do we have to, from a business standpoint, think of um, people in an emotional sense as well and how oftentimes we can make emotional deposits in people's lives. He said we can make emotional deposits in people's lives. And he actually said there are six ways in which one is able to make an emotional deposit in one's life. And I want to share this with you guys briefly as we begin to close out today's show with a few minutes left. Um, he says, um, so again, if you know if we can make a deposit, we can also make a withdrawal. So keep that in mind. But let me talk about the six major ones real quick. I'll just highlight. He said one of the first ways we can make a deposit into one's life emotionally is to understand the individual, understand the individual, seek first to be understood, right? We're all looking for folks to understand us, and we also look to be understood. Very important. When we do that for one another, we're making a deposit. He also says attending to the little things. It's the little things that count. Oftentimes oftentimes I hear that it's the uh, small foxes that destroys the vine, right? Attending to the little things he mentioned. He says keeping commitments. That's another way. That's the third way we can make a emotional deposit into each other's lives. And clarifying expectations. Let's try that again. Clarifying expectations. How often, how often do um, we get angry with people or uh, people become angry with us because we're not clear as to what they expect of us and they're not clear as to what we expect of them. So clarifying expectations, he said, is also a way that we can make those emotional deposits into um, people's lives. And this is important privately and publicly, folks. Um, he also says apologizing sincerely when you make a withdrawal. John, certainly need to hear that. Apologizing sincerely when you make a withdrawal. Again, if you can make a deposit, you certainly can make a withdrawal. So when you realize that you've um, you've hurt someone, or you realize that um, you've damaged someone, or you didn't um, you did you did you did not do something correctly, um, as they, as we often say, man up, woman up, own up to your mistakes, take ownership of what you've done, and uh, move on. That's very important. So he says um, that those are those are the six ways we can make deposits in people's lives. So, again, if we can make deposits, we can make withdrawals. Folks, this, is, this has been the second discussion that we've had of seven habits of highly effective people, personal lessons, and personal change. Stephen R. Covey, we will continue part three next month. Again, the last Sunday of next month, we'll uh, pick back on the discuss up on this particular discussion. Shalanda, thank you for joining the call. I appreciate you as always. Folks, if you're out there and you want to get in, I had some, I had some trouble getting you in, but thanks for your efforts. We'll see you back um, next month as we continue to discuss seven habits of highly effective people. We can talk about problems all the time, but one of the things we try to do over here at MTAS, we understand the importance of not only acknowledging the intellectually transmitted diseases and the problems and the challenges that we face, one thing we try to do is take time to reflect, take time to um, get Inform, read books such as Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Personal Lessons and Powerful Change, because we realize that um, it's about each one teaching one, it's about each one reaching one. Uh, we understand that the community we live in, it's the community that we create, that each and every last one of us are responsible uh, for our individual lives, which take place within our homes, our communities, and society in general. So hopefully you've enjoyed today's book discussion, and uh, next month we'll continue the discussion dealing with Stephen Covey's powerful lessons and personal change again like our page www.facebook.com google mighty dinosaur and reach us online that's www.m-tas.org again that's www.m-tas.org and remember if you're looking for a life insurance professional. Do not hesitate to give me a call, 773-881-9555. You can 
reach me in my office directly to discuss this most important coverage to make sure that your family is properly protected and make sure that you are among those who are living a life and you're living life to the point that you're being effective in your decision making and being effective in your efforts. And that's the reason why we take time out each and every month to take a pause and not discuss the current events, but to actually see uh, how we become and go from good to great to becoming highly effective people. Again, I appreciate you listening, and we'll see you back next week. Take care of yourself. Continue to be good to yourself.